Sends Hour, hosted by Shane and Derek, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Sens Hour podcast. It's Shane alongside Derek, as always, part of the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by Customized Sports, your one-stop shop for all your custom jersey needs. Head on over to CustomizeSports.com and use promo code SENSHOUR to get 10% off your order today. And you know, today's a big day. We got uh, new jersey numbers announced somewhat. We got uh, training camp on the, on the horizon. We also got World Juniors. We'll start with the World Juniors because it's a big day for Sens fans as Timmy Stitzel and a full Germany team uh, are expected to play uh, 5.30 or 6 o'clock versus Switzerland. And the winner of that game, uh, if Switzerland can win in regulation, they'll be moving on to the quarterfinals. So this is a big day for Sens fans as Timmy, Timmy, Timmy Stitzler will be able to join Ottawa early if they were to lose. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's again, there's two ways to look at this, I guess, for Sens fans. It's kind of a positive uh, to see Timmy uh, in camp with Ottawa. So if they lose, uh, Tim Stutzla will head over to Sens camp. And uh, we got our first kind of look at the invitees on that camp list. So we'll get into that later, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, uh, there is two kind of positive ways to look at it. So if they lose, they head over, uh, Timmy heads over to Sens camp. And if they win, um, then they'll have more games to play. And we'll get to see Tim Stutzla uh, dominate more games at the World Juniors, um, which, you know, he's definitely done so far. So uh, either way, um, I don't know that I've ever been more excited to watch one singular player. Like generally when I watch games, it's to watch teams play, um, with the exception of McDavid, maybe Nathan McKinnon. You stay up late to watch a Colorado game. Um but to me, Tim Stutzla provides the same kind of excitement uh, just to watch him play individually, uh, at least at the World Junior level. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And it's kind of one of those bittersweet moments because you want to see Timmy have success with Germany and whatnot, but you also want him in camp practicing and playing with the like with the guys. And I think you kind of have to take – you have to look at the pros and cons of both, really. But – you know, it's going to be an interesting game, and hopefully, you know, whatever happens, happens. But I think most Sense fans can are okay with Germany losing. I know I am. I mean, I've been kind of riding the whole send them home bus the whole time. Um, but I will say that it's been extremely exciting. Um, you know, I'm off right now on holidays, so uh, it definitely gives you something to look forward to when you can't really leave your house right now in a lockdown. Um, I know we're getting like one hell of a snowstorm out here, so you don't really want to leave anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, you get to watch uh, Tim Stutzla, Jake Sanderson, you know, all our guys that are at the World Juniors right now uh, dominate that tournament. And it's just, it's been a lot of fun watching Timmy. Yeah, that's for sure. And I mean, it seems like Jake Sanderson got some uh, unnecessary praise yesterday with a, a, a Zegris <laughs> goal. Uh, Thurn was the one who got it, number three. I know it can be kind of confusing with the way the numbers are on the back of jerseys and the angle. But, yeah, no, uh, Thurn was the one who got the assist. Sanderson was on the bench for that goal. But overall, I mean, I've been impressed with our prospects. It's been unfortunate that Clevin hasn't been able to be a mainstay in the U.S. lineup. But 
honestly, like I, I think outside of your Venti, who's been kind of a disappointment, overall it's been a good tournament for our boys. Yeah, I think certainly the two, you know, the two members that are probably considered core members of the team moving forward in Sanderson and Stutzla, they've both been really, really impressive. And yeah, although it wasn't Sanderson that delivered that pass, I think uh, Craig Button had everyone fooled. All right, I think we got everything figured out. Um, sorry about the technical difficulties. It wouldn't be a Sense Hour uh, live show without it. <laughs> but is there, uh, what were you saying about Sanderson and... Uh, so that's all how being core members and performing. Yeah, I was going on about, uh, you know, at least uh, we were talking about Yarventi really hasn't had um, a huge impact on his team thus far in the tournament. Um, but at least we could ride home with the fact that uh, Sanderson and Stutzla, who are going to be core members of this team moving forward, um, you know, they've been outstanding at this tournament. Um, you know, particularly Tim Stutzla. I, I would say Sanderson's had overall an amazing tournament as well. I think he's um, turned a lot of um, doubters into believers, especially when it comes to the offensive side of uh, of what uh, Sanderson can bring. Um, but Tim Stutzla has, he's stood out as probably one of the best players in the entire tournament. I think we could probably all agree that Trevor Zegris um, gets the crown for that. He is a year older, um, but he's looked absolutely outstanding. Looks like an NHL player at this tournament, but, but I would say really close second, uh, Tim Stutzla has been outstanding. It is, it is hard to say really, um, because he's playing on a German squad and he's obviously he's going to stand out more than his teammates, but, uh, but just to the degree that he stands out and it's not just every game, it's every shift. So, I mean, we're watching Stutzla dominate every shift and some of his shifts are almost two minutes long. And this kid is still going like his endurance is like Thomas Shabbat level. Good. It's uh, it's crazy for a kid coming off an injury. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit different. Cause like he did, his injury was, you know, arm related. So he didn't lose any, like, like he was able to, you know, still work out on his legs and whatnot, but I understand, you know, the player that has impressed me the most outside of, you know, Zegers and some of the guys on team Canada Freaking Eliash in uh, for Germany, uh, yep. eighteen year old born about like a is it you know a month or a couple of, or two weeks of, uh, before Byfield, he put up eighty nine points as like an under sixteen year old a couple of years ago. He put up forty nine points last year in the under twenty league for Germany. Dude didn't get drafted. Probably will get drafted this year, but again, late like almost a twenty twenty one pick anyways. He plays center. He's has great chemistry with Paterka and Stutzel, and Ottawa loves their chemistry. So I know it's early, but you know the draft is only a couple months away now. He's someone I think Ottawa is going to be targeting come uh, draft in in July or August. He has looked really good. Um, I, I've liked what he's did with uh, Stutzla. He he kind of finds that bumper spot, much like we'll see Dadnov do all season. Um, but he likes to hang out in the quiet areas, I call them, of, of the ice in the offensive zone. He finds a, a, a spot kind of in that high slot area. And Stutzla has been able to find him. I've noticed a few times it's been really close to going in. But aside from that, yeah, his overall game is good. Uh, he's won a lot of faceoffs too, some some clean faceoffs. Uh, one almost resulted in a Stutzla goal. It hit the crossbar um, just before they went to overtime last game. Um, I've liked him. I've been impressed with uh, Dubé as well. 
um, on the German squad. They're an undermanned squad, and and finally they're going to have their players back, so it should be uh, fun to see. And and I think Bugle, if that's if I'm saying it right, the goaltender for Germany at least was able to make some saves last game and keep them in it. I thought his five hole was questionable, but um, but aside from that, he was at least able to make the saves that you expect him to make. So. Um, to me, I'm optimistic about a W uh, for Germany today, especially getting their players back. I thought they controlled the game last game. Uh, for much of the game, they had a lot of puck possession, um, and they were still undermanned, so it's important to note that they didn't trail off late in the game at all. They really took it to uh, Slovakia and dominated the play. Yeah, and that's for sure. And I think it's important to notice that with that uh, loss, the Slovaks still have a chance for second, if they're able to beat Finland this afternoon at 2 o'clock and Finland were to lose to Canada in regulation tomorrow. So there's still a lot to be decided, but I think the main one right now is, for Sense fans, going to be the Germany-Switzerland game at uh, 6 o'clock. But even looking after the game, the Russia-Sweden game, I think we can both say that Russia underperformed against Austria. You know, 7-1 was not something I was expecting. I was expecting it to kind of be, you know, 12, 11, 12, 13 goals for Russia. But they still have a chance at, uh, even with the loss to the Czech, or Czech Republic, which I think everyone was surprised about, they have a chance to win first if they were to beat Sweden today. And if they beat, they win first, they're playing a team either Switzerland or Germany instead of either Finland or Slovakia, which I think gives them a better chance to the semifinals. So it's going to be interesting. Where do you think... If you're if you're Sweden or if you're Russia, if, would you rather have the easier matchup in the quarterfinals or place on a, a face on another team so you're kind of you you get those good habits? Uh, no, I, I would definitely rather play the easier team. I think this is such a short tournament. There's no room for error. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I said this all along. I guess about Canada being in such a weak group this year, having won the tournament last year and you know, the tournament placement is is based on the year previous. So uh, that's why they get the placement that they did in their group. But uh, at the same time, uh, I would much rather, if I'm, you know, if I'm Russia, I would much rather play the lowly, you know, German squad versus uh, a really good team. Um, so, yeah, I, I would definitely prefer that route uh, to the semis if that were the option uh, rather than risking it and, you know, playing a team that's really good and, and you, you never know what could happen. It's one game, you know, anything could happen. That's for sure. We saw with the Czechs beating the Russians, you know, looking at going over to the state side of things, they had a really good showing against the, the Czech Republic. Uh, I believe it was a, uh, what, a eight, one, seven, one final. Yeah. I think it was seven, one. Yeah. Which, you know, this is the Czech's second blowout loss. They lost to Sweden to open up the tournament. You know, USA's last game is against Sweden. Depending on what happens tonight, Sweden can lock up uh, first in the division tomorrow with any kind of point. But if you're the U.S., or if you're looking at the U.S. team, which team are they? Are they the team that lost to Russia 5-3? Or are they the team that came out and, you know, they beat, they blew out Austria like 11 nothing, and they come out blow out the Czech Republic? Which team are they, and is are we going to see them kind of go back to the Russia game, or are they going to explode and kind of throw Sweden around? 
Yeah, I thought they were playing chess a little bit with the Russians. They were on their heels a lot of that game. And the Russians, I think, game planned so well against the States that it made them look a little bit slow, especially in the neutral zone. Like they just didn't have that breakout speed that we've seen them have uh, versus the other opponents uh, during this tournament. So to me, it'll be an interesting, uh, it'll be an interesting thing to see. I personally looking at the, you know, you look at the players on the States and this should be 1A if, if we're considering Canada number one. And I don't, I don't even know that you would. Like I, I think the States and Canada have two of the strongest teams and it's very, very close, especially with the loss of Kirby Doc. So uh, I would expect to see the States, um, if they're in that position again, playing Russia again, they're going to change their game plan. I, I think we'll see a much stronger uh, performance from the U.S. when they're playing against stronger opponents in this tournament. Um, so, so I would go with the latter. I think they're the better team uh, versus anyone in their group. But it's close, like like it is in this tournament. You know, the Finns always have a good team. Sweden's always going to give you a run, uh, and they've had a lot of success at this tournament. And obviously, Canada is the powerhouse. And, and then there's the Russians that. Uh, seem to get there um, even though sometimes they don't have great performances uh, before then they get to the medal rounds and, and they perform well so um, so the Russians are a wild card as well that's for sure I mean Sweden has I think 53 straight games one dating back to like 05 or 06 in the round robin and only have one gold medal to show for it so realistically it's a once you hit the medal round anything can go but the, the U.S. have their own version of Germany's Timmy Stutzel, Stutzla and Trevor Zegras. He is most likely going to Anaheim camp after this tournament. He signed his contract. He's not going back to school. If you were to pick out of the four big guys who in, in the tournament right now, who I believe should be under contract, uh, we have Zegras in Anaheim. Uh, we have Cousins in – I mean, there's a bunch of guys under contract – in the state for Canada, but I'm going to take Byfield and Cousins for Canada, and then we look over to Germany for Stutzla. Which of the four do you think has the biggest chance of making the biggest impact on their team coming from the World Juniors and taking their World Junior performance from here to camp? I, I would love to pick Tim Stutzla, but um, you know that would be the bias in me. <laughs> I, I want to take Tim Stutzla. I think he could make a run for Calder, but I think. Um, Probably out of those players, the safe choice is Zegras. I wouldn't underestimate what Cousins could do either um, in in Buffalo, but uh, but I'll take Trevor Zegras. I think he's the most complete player at this point in time. But again, he is a year older than uh, Stutzla, so Zegras uh, for me, especially on that Anaheim team, it's an aging Anaheim team. I think he could make a huge impact really, really quickly. Uh, Anaheim's going to be a good team in the future as well. They've got some uh, some prospects coming up uh, that will make them a much better team. You know, Jamie Drysdale's had an out, outstanding uh, tournament as well. Uh, really makes you, you know, you watch him play and then you're like, man, he's really worked on some of the defensive flaws that he's had while Sanderson's worked on some of the offensive uh, incapabilities that, that people thought he had. So it really makes those two so comparable. Um really for their for their NHL ceilings. I think I like them both. Yeah, I mean that that's great to like it's nice hearing other I know a lot of people have been like, oh Stutzel, Stutzel, Stutzel. But I think Zegris has taken huge steps this 
during his like 10 months off, basically, you know, he had nine assists leading the, the world juniors last year. He comes out and has just has a dominating performance to start the world juniors and has continued it. He had five points the other night. He's just all over the place. Anaheim has a really good combo with him uh, and Drysdale in their prospect pool among other players who they have in the tournament. And he, here's a question. Uh, you know, Bobby Brink, Bobby or Brink has had a great tournament. And then we have 2021 prospect Matthew Benares, who has been really good, really good for, for the U.S. squad. With how interesting this draft year is, uh, I believe he's the only draft eligible player on any uh, like on Canada and the U.S. and Russia. I think everyone else has either has been drafted or have had their draft year passed. Where do you think? Like, do you think Beniers with this tournament alone? has proven that he's a top, not five pick, but a top three pick and should be in conversation for the first overall pick with Owen Powers out of Michigan. I don't know about first overall. I like uh, what Beniers has done first off. I'll say that he's been outstanding. Like he's looked really good. He's a confident kid. He doesn't look younger than anyone he's playing with. Um, he's an undersized guy. Like he's not, he, he's not a big guy. Um, but he's a skilled player. I think uh, he plays with some tenacity that I really like too. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he's going to. Uh, I don't. I don't think he's going to be in conversation for number one. Although there is no real clear cut number one this year. That's another thing we should note um, for the draft coming up. I think people favor Owen Powers, but is it Power or Powers? Power. Power. Owen Power. Yeah. Yeah. There's no S. <laughs> Owen Power, he's huge. He's a, he's a massive defenseman, uh, and he looks like an NHL defenseman already. Like He's just a very mature player. But we've seen players similar to Power, uh, I'll say like Aaron Ekblad, for example, who have kind of plateaued relatively early. And I think some teams may question that with an oversized guy like Power. Um, so could a guy like Benier... Uh, could could Beniers enter the conversation for number one? He could. Um, he's definitely in the top five. He's in my top five. There's some other really good defensemen. Um, you know, Brant Clark out in, uh, I believe, plays for the Barry Colts. He's going to be up there. Um, there's there's quite a few that, you know, look really good coming up uh, for the draft, but very few forwards. So uh, I, I don't think this class is going to be quite what it was last year. I'll say that. That's for sure. And I mean, it's interesting to note that Power is about three months younger than Byfield. Like he he's past the he's an O two baby. He was born in November O two, so he technically like, you know, he's the same age as Byfield and and Drysdale and whatnot. And if you know by there was if there was a regular season as normal, you know, there's a good chance that Bowen Byram isn't at the tournament right now, or Jamie Drysdale. And we see a guy like Power at the tournament and seeing what he can do in terms of being a high-level player in at the international stage. And there's a bunch of players like that, really, who if there was a regular year, they would have been on their respective teams for the U.S. and for Canada, respectfully. I'm interested to see what happens after the tournament with a guy like Sanderson going back to UND. You know, they're going out. They're going out of the pod. They struggled without. You know, UND struggled without him and Clevin, mostly Sanderson, really. 
it's going to be interesting to see how he continues. Does he pull a Pinto and just kind of continue on the way he was? Does he pull a Lassie Thompson and kind of regress a little bit after the tournament? He's a guy that I'm interested in seeing how he were, he reacts and how he continues to develop after this tournament. Yeah. I, I try to watch, you know, as much as possible too for the world juniors. And I've noticed Sanderson, he just looks really, really good. Like everything he does looks really clean, looks really good. Um, he never seems to panic. He had a, he had a couple of moments where, you know, you could criticize him, I guess a, a couple of little brief moments in his own zone, but, very few mistakes, um, and that's kind of the game that Sanderson plays. Uh, but he does add some offense, and I think that's you know the key thing that uh, that people forgot about Sanderson. So uh, with Sanderson, I'm I'm glad we took him. I said that before. I'm glad we took him at number five. Um, I'm really glad we got Tim Stutzla at number three, um, and that's nothing against Byfield, who had an outstanding performance last game with six points. Really uh, silencing a lot of the critics. Good job on uh, Quentin Byfield. Um, and Bowen Byram, a, a player who kind of has Senators connections in, in that he was involved in the uh, trade, which Colorado drafted him fourth overall, and Ottawa opted to wait uh, for Brady Kachuk the following season at fourth overall. So um, to me, I'm uh, again, I would prefer Sanderson over Drysdale. I would prefer Sanderson over Byram. Um, so I'm happy with uh, with who they picked. Yeah. So before we continue, we're just gonna flip those. Kachuk was in in 18, Byram in 19. <laughs> yeah, they, they opted. Sorry, they opted to take Kachuk in the year that they were in when they finished. Yeah, and then they finished dead last in the league and of still course, got fourth overall. Of course, Colorado lost out on the draft lottery and ended up with uh, Bowen Byram. So. Um, really good pick, by the way. Like, I don't mind Byram at all. He's just uh, very offensive-minded and uh, not so much defensive-minded whatsoever, but uh, but still a, a very good player. Yeah, just, just before people, you know, listen to the episode and they're like, that's not right, and they roast us on Twitter. It, it sounded you know, in my head, but it always does, and then it comes out wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've been there. I think we've all been there and saying something and realizing, like, mm, that's yeah. not right. No, <laughs> but you know the World Juniors has been a lot of fun to watch. I know there's been a lot of blowout games, and there's there's been discussions on how you can do it, how you can stop it. it. It is what it is. This is how teams get better, right? Like it just it every year it happens. There's one team that gets blown out. Latvia, it's happened to Latvia, and then Latvia comes in next year and kind of surprises somebody because they don't get relegated. Denmark's the same way. It's very hot and cold. It, it, it is what it is at the junior level. It is what it is in international play. To be honest, it's just there's some countries that don't put the program on a top tier like they should, and they get minimal training, minimal resources, and they come in against teams like Canada and U.S., who this is a huge, huge resource, huge a lot of money goes into their programs, and it's it's disappointing to watch, but you know it is the game, and it matter the goals matter matter at the end of the day. Yeah, for me, I take it as. You know, it's an opportunity to watch your team's prospects as much as it's an opportunity to cheer for your country. Obviously, when you're watching a 10 nothing blowout, um, you know, you, you don't exactly follow the game as closely as you follow some of the medal round games and some of the more exciting kind of nail-biting finishes. But, uh, but it is, I, I always take it as an opportunity to watch some individual players that I'm excited to see. And um, the thing I look for the most when it comes to the World Juniors is, players that have 
played in the World Juniors the year previous, just to see how much uh, and how quickly some of them can develop in one year. And then they come into the tournament, you know, players that barely were noticeable the year before, and then they come in and they start to dominate the tournament the following year. It's great to see that progression and just how quickly players can develop. Yeah, and I mean, I think that kind of correlates into Byfield a lot because, you know, people use the age as an excuse and whatnot, but he, he was part of last year's team. He was kind of sheltered in last year's team. People kind of wrote it off as like, okay, you know, there's there's more experienced guys, bigger guys in front of you. And then there's Lafreniere where he was compared to. Like, if you're going to be a second overall pick behind this guy, how are you playing fourth line minutes and not producing at the same level? Because you know, that's, that's all how it is, you know. First, second, third, always get compared to each other. And he came into this tournament, and it was a lot of the same thing. Kind of invisible, wasn't really around the puck, seemed to kind of be scared to make plays or, you know, show everyone, like, this is why I'm a second overall pick. And it's I didn't watch. To be fair, I fell asleep at the, like, within the first five minutes of the Canada game. And I woke up. It was like five. I, I went to bed after the first goal. I fell asleep after the first goal. Woke up, it was like 5 nothing for Canada. And I'm like, cool. I fell back asleep, and it was like 10 nothing when I woke up. But I'm like, oh, it's one of those games. I heard Byfield had like six points, which is fantastic. But I want to see what he can do against Finland and then into the medal rounds before I claim that he's, you know, silenced the critics. I don't think one game is a good, especially against Switzerland, is a good and fair um, measuring, kind of stick. measuring Yeah, measuring stick. Yeah onto how he's developed and where he's going to go. So, you know, tomorrow is against Finland. If he can even have, like, if he can, I don't even care about the points, really. I just want to notice it. Because the first two games, I didn't even know he was on the ice. I want to see him on, like, I just want to notice him making plays, driving plays. I don't care if he gets onto the onto the scoreboard, honestly. Yeah, it's very similar in that, you know, it's not fair to criticize a player when you know like like for example they're in a uh, on the two side of a 16 to 2 game when it was germany versus canada you know we're not going to look at that game and say oh dylan cousins is going to be the best player in the nhl because he scored like four goals or whatever it was that game uh, it, it's just it, it's the world juniors and that's what it is it's uh it's a small very small sample size where a lot of people make overestimations of uh, players based on a really small sample size. And sometimes, uh, you know, depending on the player, they're not getting uh, a a role compared to some of their teammates. Um, So it's really hard to, um, it's hard to take anything from a 10-0 game. It's hard to take anything when a player isn't performing well, if they're getting, you know, Byfield was getting like 10 minutes a night or 11 minutes a night. So I, I think on either side, we need to reserve our judgment for seeing what Byfield could do at the NHL level. Uh, Same with Tim Stutzla. I mean, we all want to get excited about what he's doing in the tournament and it's easy to get excited about it. Um, But at the same time, you know, we're talking about a player who is leagues above anyone else he's playing with. He's just, you know, the far superior player on his team. Um, So could he have put up more points if he was with, you know, team Canada, someone that could finish maybe, but at the same time, he wouldn't be getting 31 minutes a night. So um, it, it really is. Everything has to be taken with a grain of salt in the World Juniors. That's just the way it is. 100% agree. And I mean, I know I've been critical of Byfield, and I like Byfield. 
I do. I think he can turn out to be a really solid player in the NHL. He just has a, his development curve is probably a lot wider than Stitzel's or Lafreniere's. And that's why personally I would be a little bit more cautious on it, especially as a team like LA who you're not saying you're rebuilding, but like you probably should be rebuilding. And it's just for me, it's kind of a, especially since we have Logan Brown, I don't really want him to fall into the same trap. And, you know, it's always that, that comparison, you know, Lafreniere is in his league of his own. No one's really going to compare him anymore to anybody, but it's always going to come down to Byfield and Stutzel, especially with the Kings and Ottawa. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next, you know, 10, 15 years. But every time these two go against each other or are in the same tournament internationally, they'll always be to care, compared to each other. What I'll say from the Lafreniere and Stutzla comparable is that Lafreniere, when he first entered the tournament, was seen as kind of a soft, um, very um, shifty player with a lot of skill. And Stutzla was the same way last year uh, in the tournament. And then Laf- Lafreniere came in last year in the tournament and everyone's seen how much physicality and size that he added and also the shot that he added. And then now you're seeing the exact same trajectory with Tim Stutzla. And, and that's what gets you so excited if you're a Sens fan. You're seeing Stutzla is basically following the same path. He came in and you could see immediately what he added to his game. He didn't stay the same. He didn't plateau at all. He added physicality in a big way. He's winning, you know, there was a few occasions last game where he won one-on-four puck battles, specifically on the PK. He was in the offensive zone. He was one-on-four, and no one could touch him. They couldn't get the puck off him. And that's when I seen, like, wow, this guy's really added strength. He's not falling off his skates. He's not falling on the ice like he was in uh, the DEL. So I'll be interested to see what he could do at the NHL level with, you know, really strong players. 100% 100% agreed. And before we take a break, because when we come back from break, we're going to jump into Sen's talk. Training campus is right around the corner. We have the roster of people there, obviously some omissions for now. But remember, guys, we have our YouTube channel. Definitely go subscribe to that. We'll have episodes there and small, you know, side content being posted there uh, starting in the new year. As well, follow us on, on Sen's underscore hour on and on Twitter and Instagram, we just hit 600 followers on Twitter. Hopefully by the by the middle of the year uh, of the hockey season, we can get close to 1,000, so that would be fantastic. But we'll be right back, and we'll, on the other side of the break, we'll have Sense Hockey. I'm Corey Francia. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. What did I just listen to? Oh, this game. This game is, this game is just bullshit now. Oh my gosh. I actually, they actually made me feel uncomfortable. What was it? Panty what? The game has gone to bullshit. Panty melted? Why do we record these during the middle of games? Oh God. Be sure to listen to Corey and I every Monday. We are your go-to source for the Arizona Coyotes on the Hockey Podcast Network. We are back. Thank you all for joining us. And we first half hour was all world juniors, different situations, different prospects. But we're getting into the Senators talk. Sense Camp is opening up on Thursday, December 31st. They have their media today, getting to see some of these players in the new thread. It is beautiful. Derek, you came out and released the fact that Josh Norris is going to be taking over the curse number nine. And for the ones who don't understand the curse number nine, Havlak kept getting hurt when he wore it. McCulloch kept getting hurt when he wore it. Ryan started getting hurt when he wore it. Hopefully, 
Norris can break that curse. But yeah, you know, let, let's dive into it. You can break down the roster of who we have uh, coming to camp. Yeah, so it'll probably be easier just to uh, to mention the players that uh, are notable absences from camp. Um, so it is uh, notable that a Michael Haley is on IR. Uh, we don't know how long he's on IR for, but uh, that's notable. Um, and the absence is uh, Rudy Balsers, not uh, not invited to camp for some reason. Uh, and Alex Warmington. So perhaps just the falling under the unfit to play thing. Um, it's interesting though. I think he was around teammates not too long ago. So uh, they, they were playing some pond hockey, were they not? Yeah, I think he's still battling an injury though. Yeah, so it could be. Pretty, there you go. Because I'm pretty sure he got hurt near the end of his time overseas. Uh, so I'm pretty sure he still might be dealing with it. But yeah, I'm like looking at it, I'm surprised that he he isn't. Uh, one of the guys brought into camp, unless they they know he's going to get a spot. Yeah, I should should also mention while we're on the topic of jersey number changes, uh, Marcus Hogberg is going to wear number one for Ottawa. Damn. So uh, yeah, so he's changing his jersey as well. Damn, I like that thirty five on him. I'm very disappointed. Yeah, it, did, it actually suited him. It looked really good, but. Yeah, I think with the new with the new threads, a lot of people are deciding to change. Um, I'm interested to see if uh, Alex Formanton will come listed as number ten, the number that he kind of wore growing up, instead of uh, fifty nine or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think it's his fifty nine is his uh, number right now. So yeah, uh, Thompson is coming in wearing number sixty, which is an interesting number. I, the one one player on defense that I'm really interested in seeing is uh, Jonathan Asperot. He's oh, a yeah, I forgot, forgot about him. <laughs> he came. He came in on, I believe, a PTO. Made it out. Made it in Belleville. Signed a, like a Belleville contract to re- remainder of the season, and then signed a two-way deal with Ottawa this season. Dude is uh, underrated. He's he's shown that he can play. I'm very interested to see what he can do. I don't think he's going to make the the camp or like make the team right now. But I, I definitely want to see where he's at in his development. Absolutely. And, and if there was anyone wondering if uh, Anisimov was going to camp, was not going to camp, he is listed on their, uh, on their camp roster. So, um, so that kind of ends that discussion. He will be there. Uh, I know when Ottawa went out and acquired, you know, a bunch of players, everyone was kind of wondering who was moving out. Um, and it may not be the case. Uh, they, they probably just want the depth there. Um, we should also note that Cedric Paquette is going to don number 23, and Braden Coburn's going to stick with his uh, number 55. And it's also important to know Igor Sokolov will be at camp donning number 75. Now that's going to be nice to see. That's my number right there. So, I mean, that's great. That's, uh, that's uh, I, I think I mentioned before, that's the number that I always wore in hockey. And uh, it's part of my Twitter handle. So, uh, yeah, Sokolov, I'm stoked. I, I forget. I think we asked him on the show what number he was planning on wearing. I don't know if he picked 75. He didn't. I don't think he did. We'll have to go back and, and listen to it. Uh, important note, Jonathan Davis has moved from 17 with the addition of Galchenyuk. He's gone to 49. Uh, Ridley Craig is apparently on, is on the roster. Uh, he hasn't been given a number. And Michael Haley has been given 38. Kostelik is at 47. Parker at 45. Some of the, And Magwood is at 78. 78, yeah, for Magwood. Yeah. 
How do you so, feel about uh, Erica Branson donning uh, the Pajot number at 44? I don't care. It's just a number. Yeah. Like, like Pajot, for the most part, was a fourth-line guy. Yeah, he won, like, but he, he won the hearts, but he's no, you know, Mike Fisher, who really no one wore 12 until Gabrick showed up for a couple of games. You know, he's no Chris Neal. He, he doesn't have that. And, like, even Jason Spezza, when he left, no one really touched 19 until they traded for Broussard. They, they don't have that same level of, you know. Um, yeah, you, you can't re- retire every number. I mean, it's not it's not feasible to retire every number, but it, it does. I mean, Paggio was, uh, he was a crucial player in the playoffs. I don't think we yeah. could take anything away from what he did, but, uh, no, but it I certainly mean, doesn't warrant a, a jersey retirement. <laughs> no, and I mean, realistically, we probably won't see anyone rare, wear 65 or hmm. 61 for a little bit. And that's not because of, of Stone or Carlson, really. It's just those were odd numbers to wear even for those players. So we're not going to see it as often as someone wearing, you know, nine or even 44 is a little bit odd, but good Branson has worn it in the past. So it's not that out of the blue for him. And one little note, um, Eric and Branson will get tried first with Thomas Shabbat. Uh, yeah. so how, how are you feeling about that? I think Eric Branson is a lot better than the analytics show. And I think he will be. He'll give Shabbat the confidence to go out and make a play in the new in the offensive zone, and understanding that you know Good Branson will be back there to cover up if he gets caught deep without any issue. For me, analytics. I mean, it's it's really tough. But lately, I've been pretty critical of the analytics community, uh, specifically, you know, their kind of prejudgment of prospects. I think it's really, really hard to measure when you have prospects playing in many different leagues. And it's it's probably a lot more accurate when it gets to the NHL level and everyone could be kind of measured against their teammates. It's still kind of hard because every team is different as well. And they play with a different system and a different structure. So it really is, it's such a, a difficult tool to use in hockey because it's such a quick game. It's not, you know, this isn't baseball where you could break down every pitch and, you know, the game is kind of paused for long periods of time and you could, you could really overanalyze it. I think hockey is just, it's just a game where there's a lot of fluke involved. There's a lot of bounces involved. It happens so quickly that analytics are to me a little bit less usable in a sport like hockey. Yeah. I mean, analytics have their place just like the eye test has their place. But I don't. My issue with analytics is that it doesn't take into account everyone else. It's very like we've seen it before, where, for example, there was a play a couple of years ago. CC passes it up to Hoffman, and he passes it up the board like you're supposed to. It's a proper, it's a proper breakout pass, and then Hoffman, for some dumb reason, decides to pass it across the ice through the neutral zone. And it gets picked off and it leads to a goal. And people were blaming CeCe for it because they weren't in position. Hoffman should have never made that pass. And it's things like that that don't get counted towards. Like, they ignore or aren't part of the numbers. And for me, it's just like, you can look at it like, like it's a useful tool, but there's a time and a place for it. And unfortunately, sometimes people ignore that just to prove their point. And I think that's it. I think when a guy gets labeled for something, it's really hard to lose that label. Label, And sometimes it's impossible. Like uh, like you mentioned, Cody Cece, as soon as he was labeled as a lousy defender with low hockey IQ, 
people were dissecting every move he was making on the ice and making it seem like he didn't belong anywhere near the NHL. I mean, this, this stuff happens all the time. Just like when a player gets labeled as a really good player, um, you know, people don't necessarily see some of the mistakes that they make. And uh, I think we've seen that last game with Tim Stutzler. Like a lot of people were, you know, following along, talking about how great he was. And there was a couple lapses in judgment. There was a couple lazier shifts, uh, back checking that I noticed that I was like, well, you know, we've, we've got to acknowledge everything. And, and I'm not going to fault a, a kid who's having to play 32 minutes a night for a lazy back check here and there, especially when, you know, he brings what he does to the table offensively. But that's just an example of, you know, sometimes when we create these labels in our head, we only see things that way. And I think, like you said, people will label a player before and then they'll go and build analytics after they've already labeled the player. So it's easy to, you know, prove your point if you want to prove a point and say this player is lousy because he sucks at this, 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 and this. Um, and this player is great because he's great at everything and, you know, does, can do no wrong. But um, but every, you know, every NHL player is going to make mistakes. Um, every junior player is going to make more mistakes. Uh, that's just part of the game, part of the growing process. Um, and I think it's important, again, to take analytics, uh, read analytics and use analytics, but not use them to make your full assessment of a player. This is what I've been trying to say about Shabbat for the last like two years. Shabbat is very good offensively. And this is the same thing with Carlson. They weren't necessarily horrible defensively, but they had their struggles in their own zone. I don't know how many times I watched Shabbat get muscled off the muscled off the puck by one or two guys easily and turning it over that generates a scoring chance for the opposing team and ending up getting scored on. There's two plays that come to mind where it's just like, really? Or like you made that play. There was one against Detroit where he's in the corner and instead of wrapping it around, he's holding onto the puck. He gets out muscled and it leads to a scoring chance. There's another one against Vegas when they're in Ottawa, he passes it straight to Stevenson on a power play and it leads to a Stevenson breakaway shorthanded goal. It just he sometimes I feel like he he kind of thinks too much, and he tries forcing plays, and you can talk about all the good he's doing, but we need to acknowledge that these players, no matter how good they are, are going to make mistakes, and they're going to have weaknesses to their game. McDavid is horrible defensively. The the analytics and the eye tests show that he's not the greatest defensively. He has his moments, but overall, you can probably bet on him having a blown coverage in his own zone at least once a game. Yeah, I, I watch a ton of Connor McDavid, and I'll say Dreisaitl is probably worse. Like uh, defensively, Dreisaitl sometimes is a nightmare. Like he just doesn't doesn't even try sometimes defensively. He's, uh, I mean, they're they're both. I mean, you you take the good with the bad with those players because they're both, um, you know, two of the very best players in the league offensively. Um, and I think we're gonna we're gonna see some of that with Tim Stutzla, just much like you said with Shabbat. Um, these are players that take higher risk because they have the skill to do that. Um, so the last thing you want to do is take that skill away either. You don't want them getting into the mindset of making the simple play every time because then, you know, nobody's really the straw that's stirring the drink offensively. And uh, the Senators need a couple of those players that uh, that aren't afraid to take risks. Um, but sometimes it's calculated. You, you've got to take calculated risks. You have to know when to take a risk. You can't be the last man back and try to, you know, beat your guy one-to-one or hang on to the puck too long or make a, a pass through the neutral zone that's going to get picked off. So um, 
those are things that will have to be learned in time when it comes to Shabbat, when it comes to Stutzla, it's going to be, you know, much of the same thing. He likes to carry the puck a lot. Uh, sometimes he likes to carry the puck right from behind his own blue line, uh, right from behind his own net. So uh, you're going to see mistakes much like, you know, like you said, the very best in the game makes uh, a lot of mistakes sometimes, Connor McDavid. So, um, so we'll see mistakes. It's hockey. That's, that's part of the game. Um, and, and don't take analytics too seriously because uh, the moment you do that, I think it, hockey becomes less fun. I mean, you're just looking at all these little plays and trying to dissect, you know, every shot attempt <laughs> on net and, and you're making a judgment from a shot attempt from sometimes just dumping the puck in and it goes on net and that's a positive Corsi stab. And it's like, really? That had no impact on the game and you actually gave up possession. So what is that telling you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, puck possession, and again, puck possession's great, but you can, I'd much rather win the high danger chances than the puck possession chances. Because I've seen, you know, Toronto's very good at puck possession. What have they won with that? You know, it doesn't matter how how often you can control the puck if you can't finish. Yeah, and perimeter then, perimeter play is just perimeter play. I mean, you're just tiring yourselves out as much as the other the other team. Yeah, and like I don't care if you could possess the puck for sixty percent of the game, but if that other forty percent of the game, the the opposing team, when possessing the puck, has have more chances and have better high danger chances, well, that's what I want. I want those chances. I don't want perimeter play, or even just like quick you know quick shots and whatnot i want the 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 high scoring chances and you know there's numbers that need to reflect that and there's play people that don't don't do it yeah i i just think if you take the simplicity out of the game you take some of the fun out of the game as well i mean you could honestly you could ruin it for yourself i've kind of you know, I, I went through a stage where I involved myself in, you know, trying to learn everything there was to learn about hockey analytics. And it just kind of sucked some of the fun away from it. It was like, you know, Seth Jones, for example, he's one of my favorite defensemen in the league. And just knowing that there's a whole community of people that think he's an absolute horrible defenseman, it blows my mind because I watch Seth Jones play and he's spectacular. He's always one of the best players on the ice. Um you know, and, and that's kind of what I hope Jake Sanderson turns out to be. So, um, you know, take some of that stuff, again, with a grain of salt. Yeah, I mean, we all have to take every, like, analytics are great. Personally, I, like, I find they're useful if put in the right situations. That, that's, that's all I'm going to say about it. To end the, and it, they're useful in the right situations. Don't live and die by the sword when it comes to analytics, but also don't live and die by the, the sword when it comes to the eye test. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's why we're saying have, have a nice balanced approach um, and don't ruin the game for yourself or you won't really like it very much. That's for sure. But, you know, we do still have to talk about the, the team going into camp. Looking at this roster, we kind of know who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. But I think there's one player, actually two players, that should be considered dark horses, and I mentioned them earlier, Mark Kostelik and Parker Kelly. The reason for that is that Parker Kelly has won the hardest working senator uh, in prospect in the prospect camps and the development camp the last two years. Kostelik is very much the same way. DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian seem high on both of these players. If one of these prospects starts slipping or one of these NHL players, you know, slips a little bit, do not be surprised to see Kelly or Kostelik 
kind of take control of it. And that's what their players are going to need to do is once one player slips, you're going to take control of the situation and prove that you belong there. I think this year, probably more than any, people are going to absolutely freak out when they see the final roster and they see kind of what our opening night roster is. And I, and I think that because there's no, um, there's no preseason that we're able to see. So every bit of assessment is going to be based on, you know, what the coaches see and what Dorian sees in camp. So we don't get, you know, uh, pervy to watch um, six preseason games and then make an assessment saying, you know, you know, Formanton scored five points. Why is he off the roster? He should be on it. And, you know, Batherson did nothing. Why did he make the team? Um, so, so what we're going to see is a couple of, like you said, probably a couple of surprise players make this roster. I, I would lean probably towards who they just acquired in Coburn and Paquette. Those are veteran players that I think probably have an edge when it comes to making this team and, and probably making it over some of the players that we might want to see graduate from the AHL, like a Josh Norris or, um, you know, perhaps a Logan Brown. Um, and, and and I think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see the final roster and we're going to be left with a whole bunch of questions as to, you know, why some of these players were cut from the team. But um, ultimately, it's going to be their decision and we don't get to see any of it this year. Yeah, unfortunately. And hopefully they'll at least possibly stream any kind of scrimmages they have or inner squad games that they have um, near the end of the ter- end of preseason or end of uh, training camp, I mean, but, you know, I think realistically looking at this roster, the forward group is pretty much set for the most part. We're going to have some of the guys who've been kind of straggling along defense is going to be really interesting to see who comes in and who uh, shows. I'm kind of curious on where Coburn fits. Who does Coburn replace? He's a left-handed shot. We have Willannon and Riley under NHL contracts for this year. Could we see, like, should we expect maybe another move? Possibly. But I really think that Coburn's going to slot in and over Riley. If Willannon, like, he's going to, him and Good Branson, I feel like would be a solid third pairing, but I wouldn't be surprised to see good, good, uh, Coburn on the left side and Branstrom on the right side. I think it's going to be game by game decision. I think I said this last week when we talked about it, but I really think that uh, DJ Smith is going to utilize the taxi squad as much as possible. And I think he's going to game plan for some of those heavier Western teams. He'll probably want to play a heavier game. So he'll bring in, you know, you might see a Riley scratched for a Coburn. Um, You might see that kind of shift. Um, versus more of a skilled team like a Montreal who's a smaller team, then you might see Mike Riley come in uh, to provide more offense. You might see, you might even see Eric Brandstrom come in here and there to provide some offense. So, so I think all of these players, like they have five, is it five taxi squad positions? Yeah, because it's up to six, but one of them has to be a goalie. So yeah. that one's most likely going to be Decord. Yeah. Uh, so you have basically five positions, and I would expect it to be three forwards and two defensemen. And then there's always injuries in camp. So, I mean, you always have to factor in, you know, we, we don't want to say that, but it's it's bound to happen. That's the reality of the sport when you're, you know, guys, especially in a competitive camp like this is, guys are going to be competing for spots and they're not going to be taking it easy. And they haven't played hockey in a long time. So a lot of these guys are kind of coming in cold when it comes to, 
actual, you know, physical contact and playing hockey. So uh, I won't be surprised to see a couple of injuries um, and then we'll have five taxi squad positions. And I really think all five of them are going to get rolled into game situations and we're going to see kind of an influx of players coming in, players coming out and lineup changes probably based on the performance the night before. So, you know, if the, if the team performed really well, he might be kind of set to keep the same lineup. And if the team underperformed, he'll probably make some changes. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in camp and with this roster. And we've talked about who you want, like who we want to perform and who, what we expect from these guys in camp. And we're not, be, we're not going to be able to see it. Media is not going to be in there watching it. It's going to be a very silent camp. And with the moves that have happened – I don't think play any player really – well, I mean, not any player, but most players on this team aren't safe for a deal. If there's a deal on the table, you know, with, with Taves and Doc being out long-term and uh, as well as Nylander for the Blackhawks, there's a good chance that we could see one of our centers, Tierney and Nisimov most likely, being dealt at some point if that's a route that, you know, Chicago and Otto wanted to go. It's very much a possibility for us. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of teams are turning to Ottawa to make deals because they know kind of the the ability that Dorian has right now to make a deal. He's just got a ton of leverage, um, so he could use some of that. Uh, Chicago, Anisimov just makes a world of sense for Chicago. He was just there. He's got chemistry with Kane already, um, you know. But but at the same time, he did help bring in a player like Dadnov to Ottawa, so. At the same time, you kind of wonder, he's he's another player that you could actually slot at the top of the lineup if you wanted to and, and see what he could do right at the top playing with Dadanov and Kachuk. Um, I think you made that point way earlier, you know, when we first learned that Dadanov was coming to Ottawa. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that if they wanted to go with more of a veteran presence up front. Yeah, I mean, I think Anis Samal is one of those guys where you could slot in. But if you're going to give him a chance, like he's going to go to Chicago. If you trade him to Chicago, he's going to Chicago to be a top six player for the season. And I think out of respect to Anisimov and what he's done in his career, that is a better situation for him than it would be for him being the extra forward in Ottawa. So, yeah, he brought Dunanoff here. Thank you. You know, that was a great thing. But would you rather be a Bodker and where you're in and out of the lineup, you know, for, for games at a time? Or would you rather go to Chicago where you live full time now, you have chemistry, you have experience in Chicago where you can go and basically be a top six player again for your last year of your deal and most likely the last year of your career unless you want to be a depth player for for however long you want to play. It, it makes a ton of sense to have Anisimov return to Chicago if there's a deal that they could find. Um you know, to, to send him there. And I, I don't think it would be very hard to work out a deal to send him there. Um, you know, it's not like you would ask a ton back from Chicago. I think uh, it was a one-for-one one swap, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, Zach Smith. So, it, it you know, it could be uh, that Ottawa doesn't even need a player coming back, probably a, a fifth-round draft pick, you know. Um, to me, I think that would, would get the deal done. And Ottawa has a ton of center depth. Like, they just acquired Paquette. Um, who could easily be a fourth-line center on this team. He's a great penalty killer, um, doesn't provide a whole lot offensively. Um, obviously, they still have Colin White. They still have Chris Tierney. 
Um, I'm probably missing a few. They added Derek Stefan. Oh, Derek Stepan. There you go. There's a player that's probably going to project uh, near the top of the lineup. He's he's uh, came out recently saying that he wants to refine his offensive game and play more of an offensive role in Ottawa. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they give him the opportunity to do that. He kind of hinted at the idea of playing with uh, Stutzla. So I think... That'd you know, be a good fit, honestly. Stutzla played really well in the DEL with Ben Smith. Um, you know, a, a veteran center in Ben Smith who has a lot of similar qualities, I think, to Derek Stepan. Obviously, Stepan, the more quality player at the NHL level, but um, that would be a good fit, I think, for Stutzla. I think, and it, it, realistically, a line of Stutzla, Stefan, and Vasserson would yeah. probably be the best thing I could think of for those, like, for those two players. Having a veteran you know, established center feeding you the puck on both sides and, or being able to finish it in the middle would be great for them. I would love that. You know, that would be a perfect third line, maybe even second line option. I, I think, you know, you could probably make, you could probably make a case for that being the second line some nights if they're performing well. And for that being the third, third line some nights, but uh, that would be an excellent option. Yeah. And I mean, we also have to remember, you know, Chris, uh, well, Nick Paul was drafted as a center and can still play center, even though he's basically been playing way in the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, he's also an, an option down the middle if need be. Yeah. They have tons, tons of option, tons of depth down the middle. Um, no one that really stands out as a clear cut number one guy. I mean, we're hoping that Colin White kind of regains form, but I don't even know if he'll be getting the first opportunity to play with Kachuk and Dadnov. Um, I think that's the only guarantee for the first line. You've got Kachuk on the left side, Dadnov on the right side. Uh, but who knows who's playing in the middle? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if White is given the opportunity at first, mm-hmm. uh, especially since Stefan isn't, from my understanding, isn't joining the Senator's camp yeah. uh, because he is expecting his third child on January 3rd. He is expected to stay in Arizona and Scottsdale awaiting the birth of his child. And then at that point he would make the proper um, moves to, to come up here and join the boys up here. So with that, I mean, I think Coburn and Paquette also still need to quarantine. Not really sure about what their situation is, uh, but they could, they'll also need to quarantine. So they probably won't be available in camp. So you do have room to show these guys, like show the coaching staff, that, hey, I deserve to be here. And it's up to them to kind of take the initiative and show them, like, hey, I want this spot. I'm going to take this spot. You're not going to move me from this spot. Which is why I think it's even more questionable if Tim Stutzla is going to be on the opening night roster. Yeah, go Germany. Exactly. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I just kind of wonder if he's not in camp and he's going to miss the majority of it, are they really going to take a young player and just slot him into the lineup, um, you know, right off the hop? Is that something they're going to do? It, it is. We should note that it is his birthday on January 15th. Um, so it would be a really nice birthday gift if he scored a goal against our, our rivals, the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, um, but what, what do you think about that? Do you think they're just going to say, you know, this kid's good enough. We're going to give him a roster spot. We're going to save one for him. 
Or what if, you know, what if someone has a really good camp? How do you tell that player, like, you did everything right, but unfortunately we have this 18-year-old kid that's waiting to play? Uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You were in your spot with TJ Smith. He does not care where you're drafted. He does not care who what the, the back of your name says. You earn your roster spot with him. I think he would come to camp. Uh, he's I don't think I don't see him part of the opening night roster. I really don't. And that's not uh, no unless he unless they lose tonight, unless Germany were to lose today, he's in Ottawa by you know one o'clock in the morning uh, tomorrow and quarantining. You know, I don't see how you would expect a guy to come in uh, a week max before your first game. And you have all these guys already practicing for a week. How you expect them to be when you have guys like Norris and whatnot, where you're telling them, you know, you have to earn your spot to have a guy like Stitzel come in and basically be handed a spot. I don't see how that would work well with the the locker room. I think that would be a very negative um, impact on the locker room. And it would kind of split the locker room of like, you know, you're giving him this, this chance to play because of where he was picked and you know, that, that goes against everything you've been preaching for the last like year and a half. I do kind of worry about, you know, just the depth that Pierre Dorian has acquired. If they don't move anyone out, how some of the younger guys might be feeling going into this camp, thinking that, you know, what chance do I realistically have to make the team anyway? Um, Obviously that's, you know, that's not going to be your mindset going into a camp. Your mindset is going to be, I don't care if this guy's slotted in in front of me, I'm going to beat him for his position. And I think that's ultimately, that's what they want to see. That's the attitude they want to see from the Logan Browns. That's the attitude they want to see even from Josh Norris, who I think is a little bit younger and has a little bit longer to, uh, to develop if he needs it. But, you know, someone like Alex Formanton, who a couple of months ago I seen making the team now looking at the roster, I don't think there's any chance he makes the team. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's interesting like personally, I would hate to see Ottawa go against their word. And I think DJ Smith has been honest with everyone. He's been open. He's told them what he expects from them. And I think that's crucial is that, yeah, okay, we've brought in these players, but nothing is set in stone. If you come into camp and show us that you deserve those spots and deserve those minutes, you're going to get those minutes. Yeah. And that's, that's the right. Uh, I think that's the, the right approach as well. Um, I do think the opposite. I, I do think Tim Stutzla is going to have a spot on the roster, whether he's there or not. I just think they've got to sell this thing to the fan base. Um, and the way to do that is through a kid that plays the way he does. Um, and, you know, they're playing the Leafs. It's his birthday. I'd be I'd be thoroughly surprised if he wasn't in the opening night roster. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that situation plays out. Hey, honestly, with this team, you never know what can happen, and I'm not going to take risk on betting on it. Yeah. It's all speculation at this point until the team announces anything. No, and that's perfectly fair. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> no argument there. You, you Sometimes you just never know. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited. This Jersey Day thing, like the uh, the photo, photo day, getting to see our players in our new slacks are going to be fantastic. They already posted a little gif of Tierney taking a picture. And damn, these jerseys look good. I oh, cannot man. wait to see them on the ice. I can't wait to see them through the TV. Like, it's just going to look phenomenal through the TV. Yeah, it, it does. It Genuinely, it feels like a rebrand. It feels like, you know, it, we've, we haven't had hockey for so long. 
it does not feel like the same Ottawa Senators that we're going to see this season. Um, I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I'm excited to see the Ottawa Senators finally take to the ice uh, January 15th. Oh, yeah. That, uh, it's going to be a beautiful sight to see. But, you know, guys, the World Juniors is on. We got the, uh, I believe it's uh, is it Slovakia versus Finland right now. It is. Let me check I, my schedule. I cannot. I've been doing so much World Junior stuff. If you guys haven't checked out my Sens Hour Twitter, I am literally just on top of all the World Junior stuff in terms of like the potential scenarios and, and breakdowns of what can happen today and what can happen for the rest of the tournament. tournament. So, yeah, it's Finland and Slovakia. Uh, that's going on right now as we finish up the recording of today's of this, of this episode. And just a last reminder, Finland needs a, a win uh, of any kind, really, to stay pace with Canada. Um, even a loss in regulation won't hurt them if they can beat Canada, but a win here will do them greatly. Slovakia just needs a single point or, or well, needs a win to give them a shot at second with a, a Finland loss. Uh, game two, Switzerland-Germany, super simple. Germany win, gets one point, they're in. So uh, Switzerland wins in regulation, they're in. And then the late game, Russia versus Sweden. Sweden wins in regular. A Sweden win would take a stranglehold on first into their matchup versus USA on the 31st. A Russia regulation win would guarantee them first in Group A and give them either Switzerland or Germany in the quarterfinal matchup starting on the second. And uh, let's go Robbie Arventi. Hopefully uh, Robbie can kind of prove us wrong here because he's had a really quiet tournament. Uh, so hopefully he can uh, kind of pick up his play and maybe uh, produce some, uh, start producing a goal or even a point would be nice. Yeah, just see, see what he can do. I mean, it is what it is at the end of the case. Uh, he'll go back to Finland and hopefully continue to improve over there uh, with the men's league. But for that, that's all for today's episode, guys. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, next, hey, next week we'll have actual more sense hockey to talk about. We'll have a little bit of training camp news to report and uh, more uh, world junior stuff to report as the uh, we'll be looking into the basically we'll be looking into the semifinals next episode quarterfinals are on Saturday um, with the tournament ending on the fifth so we got a lot of hockey between now and then and hopefully we'll have some more news to talk about thank you guys again for tuning in follow us on suns underscore hour on Instagram on Twitter and check us out on YouTube, Sends Hour. For myself, it's Shane underscore Ryan97. Derek is DLee075. And check out his stuff on SendShot and New Era Sense. He has a new article coming out uh, later today, I believe, for SendShot. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music on Thursday, he has he has released that article, so definitely check it out. Uh, that's all, folks. Stay safe. Have a happy new year, and uh, we'll catch you back in the new year. Take care, everyone.